All right. Sometimes I figure there's no need. Just go home now, you know. What's the point? We've done our stuff. But there's always more. When I talk about the cross, I mean talking about the cross until we get to Easter. Um, the cross that's hanging up there with chains broken, broken is, is the most powerful symbol on the face of this earth. It's the symbol of God saying yes to human beings. God saying his love is such that he, come, he will go to any length to actually have us in relationship with him. It's really, in our terms, the, uh, the father of a child who's been adopted, taking all the initiative to be reconciled to the lost child. And if you are adopted and you've ever spoken to adopted children, they always want to know who their father is or their mother. And that comes out of a deep imprint in our spirits that is God, who has created us for that kind of relationship of father-child goes deep, 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 deep into who we are. And so this cross is, is enormously important. And uh, last week I talked about how God revealed himself as I am and we are I am not when God called Moses. And this week I just want to talk about the one phrase really, um, which is take up your cross and follow me. And just play around around that, uh, that, that topic which is in actually Luke 9 as we read. We, we in, a, in North America have a, have a gospel, or we can have a gospel about Christianity, which is God wants you to be all that he wants you to be. He wants you to be all that you can be. Um, he wants to bless you. He wants to pour his favor on you. He wants you to be rich. He wants you to be successful. And that's all true. But it's really very distorted, very quickly, if we're not careful. And then we have the lie and the nonsense that's spoken as well, which is, God gives me my cross to bear. Some people say that this is my cross that God gave me to bear. God does not give out crosses. He does not give anybody a cross to bear. If you think you have a cross to bear from God, it's not from God. Does it make sense to you? Do you know He's not that kind of God. It's like me giving my daughter cancer and say, I've just given you this cross to build. It'll help your character grow. What kind of father would I be? If I'm such a pathetic father that I've got to give her suffering in order to teach her something, it's good news because you see, when you understand that God doesn't give crosses to bear, you don't have to fight with, how can I love a God who causes suffering? God doesn't cause suffering. He allows it. And suffering comes out of the broken world in which we live. If you actually peel suffering back, we do it to one another. And when we do it to one another, the reason we do it to one another is because we want to be the center of the world. And selfishness causes suffering. Let me give you one unpopular, one unpopular illustration of that. Selfishness causes suffering. If there was no selfishness, there would be no sex before marriage. If there was no sex before marriage, there would be no need to abort children. There would be no need to adopt them out. Why does God allow it? Because he's given us freedom. Does he like it? No. Selfishness is about, I want it now for me. At the root of everything is our rebellion. And that's why God came on the cross to, to, to pay the price for our rebellion. 
He doesn't give you a cross to bear. You couldn't bear it. Jesus bore the cross. And I want to talk about that because so often we spend all our time looking at the negative and, and you'll, you'll never, nobody will ever take up a cross. And too many people are, are trying to, to have relationship with Jesus and having to try and come to terms with the negative of this taking up the cross, the suffering, or this is the negative of what you have to do. So I want to switch it around because it's much better news. In Hebrews 12, chapter 2, it says, For the glory set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And what I want to really, in a nutshell, say this morning is that when you know or see or taste the glory or the love or the presence, then you will endure anything. I thought I'd uh, use two videos to illustrate something. First is... uh, John Jensen will wake up for this one. Sir, I have myself full confidence that if all do their duty, if nothing is neglected, and if the best arrangements are made, as they are being made, we shall prove ourselves once more able to defend our island home, to ride out the storm of war, and to outlive the menace of tyranny, if necessary, for years, if necessary, alone. At any rate, that is what we are going to try to do. That is the resolve of his majesty's government, every man of them. That is the will of Parliament and the nation, the British Empire and the French Republic, linked together in their cause and in their need, will defend to the death their native soil, aiding each other like good comrades to the utmost of their strength. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And if which I do not for a moment believe this island or a large part of it was subjugated and starving and our empire beyond the seas armed and guarded by the British fleet would carry on the struggle until in God's good time the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old One of the most powerful speeches. Of course, there's a lot of rhetoric that's romantic, isn't there? But a lot of people, probably many people here have relatives, whether we know it or not, who have died in one of the wars. But when you believe in a cause and you believe in freedom and you see Hitler and you say, um, that is an evil that has to be overcome. Men enroll, women enroll in armies and they go onto beaches and get shot and killed. Go and stand in the cemeteries in Europe with the white crosses, fields of white crosses. And they give their lives, sometimes foolishly, for a cause that is bigger than them. That's what I'm talking about. You don't take up your cross. You get so captivated by the cause that you're willing to give. And you know how many men in this country 
go into legion halls because that was the best time of their life. When for once they gave themselves to something greater. And they spend their whole lives on that. And God ultimately is saying, I'm better than that. I'm a greater cause than that. Listen to this speech. One more. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creeds. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. stirs in you though when you hear those kind of words because ultimately if Jesus was here he says that he would say I am the dream I am the word that what Jesus did on the cross was giving substance to every word that Winston Churchill spoke every word that Martin Luther King spoke because if you take those words and you move away from the substance you still have a world in which there's brokenness and which there's enmity because the human heart hasn't changed I sat with my daughter, Michelle, this week, 25 years old, at breakfast. We were talking about something, and she ended up saying, in 30 years, there's something, something negative because of technology. And I said with, to her with a smile, of course, I said, well, that's because everything at the end ends up at my desk. What I meant by that was everything ends up at Jesus. Because the problem is the human heart. And you can't get... The answer to those words, whether it's Churchill or whether it's Luther King, or any, the answer to those words cannot be found outside of Jesus. And so we speak about freedom, and you can easily ask, would many of the people who saw freedom, would many of the people who fought for freedom, would they be proud of what they fought for? I won you the right to have the freedom to take whatever drug you want and waste your life. I won you the right to get anybody pregnant you like and not have any consequences. I won you the right to go on support for the rest of your life because you're too lazy to work. 
I run you the right to exploit everybody because you happen to be lucky. He said, if you actually do the rhetoric, you end up with human beings. And Jesus came to say all human beings need to be rescued at the cross. So human beings need to be captivated by something that makes them come alive. And Jesus, when he talks about taking up your cross, he's not focusing on the cross and the suffering. I want to think about three people. Abraham, John the Baptist, and Mary. Abraham lived in the Old Testament many, 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 many years ago. Abraham left his town and he started wandering, following God. In Genesis, it's in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Just leave it at that. When God made Abraham and God began to speak to Abraham, God called Abraham and said, this is what I'm going to do with you. I'm going to give you a vision. I'm going to do something amazing in you. And Abraham began a journey with God that started from a somewhat innocent curiosity possibly to something very powerful. And in the process, Abraham went through a whole journey where he went into foreign countries. He lied about his wife because he was scared that he would be caught out. He let her sleep with the king because, and called him his, his, his sister. Abraham wasn't a perfect guy. He had a heart for God, but that heart needed to be grown and developed. And so he ebbed and flowed in his obedience and his relationship. God said to him that you're going to have these many children and he and Sarah were getting older and older and they couldn't see it. And you know what happens when you get impatient with God and when you decide, well, God, you're taking too long, you decide you'll do it yourself. God doesn't want me to be lonely, so I'll shack up with the guy or the girl who says hi to me. And then I'll tell you how it's God's will for me. That's kind of like normal in this culture. I don't understand why God's not giving me breakthrough. Well, you've taken your life into your own hands. He can't. Because you've suddenly actually gone on the wrong side of the cross again. And so you've actually cut out your power supply. You can't have the best of every world. So God's got to captivate your heart to a point where you go, there's nothing worth. I started off and I, I... Early on, when I felt God's call on my life, and I was 17, 18 years old, I didn't want to do it. I, the church didn't appeal to me. I went into the army. I came out of the army, and I, and I got into a youth group. And I began to, and I, I said, God, if you, if you want me to serve you, you're going to have to give me opportunity because otherwise I'm going to go down the wrong road. And so I got a phone call from somebody. Do you want to help with a youth group? And in those two years, he began to stir something up. And then I sort of fell away again. I went and worked in an advertising agency for three months because I thought maybe it was creative and I was working with people. And I was there for three months and, and they were the major advertisements that were, being, were fueling the economy of the advertising agency were uh, whiskey and cigarettes. And I loved the idea of trying to sort of get people to smoke and drink in terms of the creative side of that. But I can't spend the rest of my life trying to get people to smoke and drink. And so God inside me was beginning to cause me to be restless. And I said, no, I can't do that. It's not a virtue. It's just you begin to taste something bigger. And I, go, I want something to be more meaningful than that. 
That's all I'm talking about. He creates a dissatisfaction in us that eventually causes us to go, it's not a sacrifice to walk away from that. I just don't, I'm not interested. And Abraham followed God and he did this long journey with him and he betrayed his wife twice. And he's called the father of righteousness. You see, God is able to make people who are broken and screwed up righteous. And I don't have time. I wanted to use Abraham as, as, as an example, though, of, of a moment when Abraham, um, I told you Abraham and Sarah hadn't uh, had children. You know this story, probably most of you. And then they have this son. They get visited by an angel and they laugh because Abraham's 100 and Sarah's 95 and she's been barren and Abraham, you know, and they just laughed. And God said, by this time next year, you'll have a son. And he did. His name was Isaac. And they were amazed. And they, they nurtured Isaac and they, they grew Isaac up. And Abraham was uh, at Starbucks one day. And, and God showed up. And he said to him, uh, God said, Abraham, here I am, he replied. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Now what you're, going about to, what you're about to see is what it means to take up your cross. This was 20, 30, 40, 50 years of Abraham walking with God, experiencing his forgiveness, testing him, pushing back, finding God's love for him and his faithfulness for him. And then God gives him the son. He's, he nurtures the son. And then God asks the most counterintuitive, ridiculous question any God could ask of any human being, which was that son that I promised you through whom, whom, whom I said I will bless the nations, I want you to sacrifice him on that mountain. And what does Abraham say? says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took up his cross. He said, if that's what you want me to do, then I'll do it. Everything in me cries out no. But I, if, it's your, if it's my son or you, then I will sacrifice my son. That's taking up your cross. I trust you with this. And he goes travels with Isaac and Isaac doesn't know why they're going and he asks him questions when they're going up the mountain like where's, you know, where's the sacrifice and his father doesn't say you're it. They get to the top of the mountain and, I, and, and Abraham builds this fire and then Isaac has to submit to going on it which I don't know how they worked that one out. And, and Abraham's about to, to kill his son and God says, not just joking, but I'm just seeing how far you'll go. I mean, he didn't do that to anyone else. And Abraham walked down. They, they, there was a ram in, in the bush, and they, they, they killed the ram. And, of course, there's a huge, huge metaphor there of God said, Abraham, what you've just actually struggled to do is what I'm going to do. I will walk up that hill with my son. His name will be Jesus and he will be 33 years old. And I will, I will offer him up so that everyone else can be free. Because of the glory set before him. Before, because of the glory set before him. 
So Abraham's heart was captured to the point that he said, you can have everything. So many of us, we hold so many things and we say, not that, not that, not that, not that, not that, but I want to love Jesus. Read it in Genesis 22 sometime. It's a powerful story. The other guy that's well known to us is John the Baptist. He was uh, born from Elizabeth. Elizabeth was pregnant before, Je- before Mary was pregnant. And they really were cousins and they spent a lot of time together. John the Baptist, uh, we heard what the Holy Spirit was in uh, Mary's womb when Mary spoke, in, in Elizabeth's womb, when Mary spoke to uh, Elizabeth saying she was pregnant. We, it says in the scriptures, the baby within Elizabeth leapt. And, and John the Baptist was, was prophesied when, when he, his parents were going to be pregnant and they were also barren and God said you will be pregnant. Um, John was prophesied to be a man who would be filled with the Holy Spirit and he would be the one who would actually speak about God before Jesus was released into ministry. His role and his ministry was to prepare the way of the Lord was to speak, there is a God, behold, there is a God, to a nation who hadn't seen or heard God speaking for 400 years. So in living memory, there was kind of God is dead. There's ritual, there's religion, but there's no God alive. And John the Baptist began to call the nation back to God. And he also called the leadership back to God, uh, Herod and his wife. And, and because of that, he laid the foundation for his own death. But as Lefty would say, I say this to say this. Um, John grew up with Jesus. They were family. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they spent many, many, many hours, days together playing as children, growing up together, maybe as teenagers talking about their birth, their spirit, what was going on with them, what, what, what was this about? Until eventually John began to be released into his ministry, which was calling people to repentance, which means to come back to God and baptizing them. And there comes the point where John has Jesus come before him. And he knows who Jesus is, but this time he sees the Spirit of God on Jesus. And he says, no, you, you should baptize me. And Jesus says, no, you do this right now because this is what needs to be done. And John baptizes Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus This is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. The Spirit rests on Jesus and Jesus' ministry begins. Power comes into him to be able to do what he was going to do. I pull back from that for a minute because John has just baptized Jesus. One of the things that was asked about John after Jesus began his ministry was like, who are you? John 1, the Gospel of John this is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he, has, he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him now known. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. And all the questions to John were, are you this, are you that, are you that? And every time he says, I am not, I am not, I am not. Do you know how rare that is? This is a man who is peaking in his public ministry. Do you know how rare it is to not stretch yourself and say, look what I've done, look what God's done in me. And do you know how rare it is for a man who's just 
There are thousands of people coming to his baptism and as he sees Jesus and he goes through the thing with Jesus, the baptism and the release of Jesus' ministry, do you know what he says? His disciples come and say, who are you? And he says, behold the Lamb of God. Do you know how rare it is for somebody who is succeeding to actually turn away and say, follow him. It's not me, it's him. That's taking up your cross. Until he eventually says, he must increase and I must decrease. That's taking up your cross. So captivated with the message God has given you and the mandate that he knew when it was finished, he said, now, now go to him. Because I came, I'm not worthy to, to, even, uh, to, to tie his sandals, I came to actually prepare the way for him. So here he is. Follow him. And his disciples went and followed they struggled with it when John ended up in prison because of the Herod's daughter saying, I want his head on the plate, virtually a little bit before that. They came and said, are you the one? And he said, the lame walk, the blind see. Taking up your cross is being willing to do whatever you need to do in order that God can do what he wants to do in you, through you, and through those around you. Where it's not my will, Lord, but your will. You cannot do that unless you actually have a relationship with Jesus. If you have a relationship with performance or religion, you'll always put yourself at the center and say, do you know what I'm suffering? Do you know what this is costing me? You mean you want me to give this up? I will always be at the center talking about how, how, in a, how much it's costing me. When Jesus is at the center, there is no cost. How can I repay that? It's no cost. You want it, you can have it. You want my house, you can have my house. It's all yours. I take up my cross means I hold nothing back. Whatever you want, Lord. Because I trust you. I trust you with your integrity. I trust you with what you call for me. And John ended up being beheaded. And Jesus hears the news about John. And he almost, he tries to get away but he, people just crowd around. He doesn't have time to grieve. Taking up your cross is having relationships with people and having to grieve the loss for John, having to see his ministry come to an end and still probably not know where this is going. Is this correct or not? For Jesus, I'm going to get to it in a minute, to lose a friend, maybe one of his closest friends, like a brother. See, there's a part of following Jesus that is hard you know there's a freedom that comes with realizing Jesus spent 30 years in a family we're, we're wanting like YouTube downloads and worship buzzes every week and every day so that I can feel better and I just want to encourage you live a day at a time trust the love of the Lord don't let your circumstances dictate how much he loves you let your relationship with him be the thing that causes you to be passionate. And he will equip you and enable you to go through circumstances that will amaze you. But there won't be a cost. You won't be this victim. You'll actually be just somebody who knows the love of the Father in the midst of life. Mary is the, the other one. Mary was called by God. She got a dream. She was pregnant when she was, when she was engaged. It was totally politically incorrect. You know the story. And all of these people that I'm talking about, 
When we start saying, God wouldn't like this, God wouldn't allow this, God wouldn't do that, yes, he could. He would and he might. Your convenience and your happiness is not his priority, by the way. It is and it isn't. You see, what you love and what you treasure is what you give yourself to. I agree with the thing that says, if I want to see what you value most, I'll look at your timetable and look at your bank balance. I'll look at your calendar and your timetable. They'll tell me everything. Where do you spend your resources and where do you spend your time? That'll tell me who, who you worship, who you follow, what your priority is. There's no judgment in that at all. That's a neutral exercise. It'll just explain a lot. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be, says the Lord. And Mary was called by God. And, and what I'm trying to show with Abraham and I'm trying to show with John and I'm trying to show I could do it with the disciples and I'll do with Mary is that God doesn't meet us by saying, I want you to take up this cross. Um, with me, you can't dance, you can't do anything. He doesn't, he doesn't meet you at a place of negativity. He meets you at a place of relationship and says, this is what I have for you. Mary, you're going to be pregnant with a child who's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the Savior of the world. I'm giving you an angelic appearance because what I'm asking is unbelievable. And I'm going to give you all that you need to be able to say yes to something that's totally out of your field. And Mary eventually says, yes, let this be your will. And Mary begins a journey with God carrying his son way beyond what she understands. But in the midst of that journey, she knows his care, she knows his presence, she knows his support. God doesn't come up to Mary and say, Mary, I want to tell you this, that uh, you're going to go through some incredible pain. I'm going to give you this child and I'm going to rip him out of your hands. Nobody could endure that. So he, he meets her and loves her and builds her up to the place where she begins to comprehend just how big this is. She begins to comprehend, instead of just my suffering, I go, how honored. I'm part of something, but man, there's a lot of blood and guts in this. It's a mixed thing. You want to be the honoring mother of God? What happens? Eventually, you know what happens. In John's Gospel, it tells us. When Jesus is crucified, she stands at the cross. She's followed her son right through the hell of the, up the, the path to the crucifixion. Next to her is her sister, and then Mary Magdalene and John, the only disciple to be there. And they're standing in front of the cross, and Jesus has had a drink of wine vinegar as he's about to die. And he says, Mary, behold your son, John, behold your mother. And Jesus has lived through 30 years with Nazareth. He's lived through the death of his father, Joseph. Yes, his father's in heaven, but Joseph was his father. I don't think that was just a casual, oh, well, he wasn't really my dad. No, he was the one who showed me how to do carpentry. He was the one who nurtured me. He was very real. God knows, Jesus knows what it's like to lose a parent. He had brothers and sisters. And he knew what it was like to begin to face something that he didn't want to face at all. He said in Gethsemane, take this cup from me. I don't want to deal with this. And he took up the cross so that you and I could actually be reconciled to his father and have the relationship he had. And Mary took up the cross by allowing herself to be used in the, 
nurturing of Jesus and the mothering of Jesus. And if we could interview them today, if Abraham could be here and Peter could be here and John could be here and everyone else we could ever talk about, you know what? I absolutely know what they would say. So do you. What would they say? It was worth it. It was worth it. You go, how can it be worth it? I'd rather live and die for some noble thing than for nothing. What are you living for? If you focus on the negative, if you focus on the cross, if you focus on the sacrifice, if you focus on what you have to give up, then you haven't seen it yet. If you focus on all the inconveniences around you, you haven't seen it yet. You won't stay the course. You will get knocked out by all kinds of things in life. You won't be strong enough. You won't be able to pick up a cross. The only cross you'll pick up is a jewelry one which is lightweight and fake gold. It'll become a trinket around your neck about what you believe, but you won't actually carry it. And I just want to encourage you this morning, don't focus on the sacrifice, don't focus on what you have to carry. Because you see, if we could bring each other up here one by one, and I'm finished, if we could bring each other one up, and, and I know the dream that's in your heart, and I go, you can have that dream right now. You'll have to let go of a lot of other things and they won't be sacrificed. You just go, why would I hold on to them if I can have this? It's all a question of perspective. It's called a pearl of great price. The worst place to be is where you've got a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of the other and you're trying to balance them. It's called lukewarm and eventually you don't stay. There's no condemnation in this. It's just understanding the battle we're in. See, what Winston Churchill spoke about was fighting the enemy Hitler. What Jesus spoke about was fighting Satan. Hitler looks like quite a cool cat if you were to put him next to Satan. Hitler was a puppet on Satan's fingers, but he was still a pretty mild guy. Holocaust is not a bad negative, and it's an awful one, but it's not what hell's like. It's much worse than that. We're in a battle. You're not, the people in Britain didn't ask to be in the battle. They didn't say, oh man, I, d- I just prefer not to deal with that. They were in it whether they liked it or not. So was the whole of Europe. And you and I are in a battle whether we like it or not. So it's a question of whether we want to be prisoners or we want to be victors. And Jesus came to set us free and say, you can be free and you can actually make a difference and an impact in a world that is very broken and very lost. I got all dark and gloomy one night this week, I get a um, magazine from my school in Cape Town and it shows the deaths of people as part of you know, the, the broader magazine of people that attended the school. And I saw there that a, a guy who had been at school when I was there had died. Uh, his name's Alan. He was 20, 64. He had a massive heart attack. His brother, Veer, was, went to nursery school with me and I used to go to his house after school. And uh, their father was a vet and there were four, three boys and a girl. And um, I'd known Veer right through my schooling till I think he was expelled when he was 16. And I just read the story of Alan's life. And Alan had got together with his cousin and his cousin and he, it was the beginning of the drug situation and they became rock and rollers. And they spent their whole lives uh, in rock and roll um, in drugs, a very sensitive guy who got lost. 
And there was a huge, I can feel it welling up in me now, a huge lostness. And Vera, who I'd known, died in 1986 of sclerosis of the liver after having a huge drug binge in Thailand. I met his sister in the church I was serving in just before I left to come to Canada. The war we're, we're involved in, drugs, sex, alcohol, is a vicious war. And Jesus is the only one who has the power to overcome it. But he's got to overcome you. It's actually easy to shout amen even. He's got to overcome you so that you become somebody who can actually do something about it. Martin Luther King, dealing with racism in America. And he might as well be Canada too. It's deep and it's vicious and it's powerful. It's ugly. The prejudices. Take up your cross means... I believe in the cause of what you were talking about at the basketball camp. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, fruit. Well, look, Jesus went to the cross to enable that to be released. So let's stand. And if you want to, just ask God to well up in your spirit so that your life actually has purpose and meaning and you have courage that you didn't know you had. We can ask him to refresh our relationships with Jesus so that we can actually be part of the solution. And that when it comes to taking up crosses, it's just a no-brainer. What's your life about? Father, I just thank you for the love that you've poured out, that you have shown us on the cross. That you ended up giving up the opportunity to be married, to have children. You gave up the opportunity to be successful in all kinds of ways on earth so that you could fulfill the mandate that was on your life. That your purpose on life was to lay down your life for me and for everyone standing here, for the whole world. You, didn't, you weren't just one who spoke words. You were the word. You didn't just give a speech, but you opened up a way for us to receive the very answer to the cries of our hearts. Jesus asked two questions to people who followed him. He said, who do you say that I am? And do you love me? And I believe God's just calling us into a deeper walk with him. And maybe we need to say, Lord, I'm sorry, I've had my, my, my mind and my heart on myself and I've ended up looking at all the sacrifices far more than I look at you. And therefore the sacrifices get bigger and bigger and I can get more and more stuck. So Jesus, I just ask you to come close to me and I want to be your friend and I want to be one in whom you live. And Father, everything I want to do in my life, I want it to be informed by you because you have the words of life. You are life. And Jesus, I just speak life over everyone who stands here right now. And I speak the love of Jesus, encounters with Jesus that will take you to a deeper place with him. Wherever you are, what can I do for you, says the Lord, so that you come alive, come alive, come alive. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Breath of life blow over this place right now. And raise up men and women who for whom there is no cost, great enough. Maybe the music team can come up and we'll finish with a song that's just about saying yes to the Lord. But I pray, Father, that you impart to us a passion for you that just makes every cost melt. So we bless you in Jesus' name, Father. I bless you. Let your kingdom come in this place. Let your will be done. Amen.